It's Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 341. We're making it official Canada Appreciation Day on Messiah Matters A. My name is Caleb Haig. Hi, I am Rob Van Hoff. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go, family. I, I'm, always, I'm never ready for that. <laughs> uh, that's quite all right. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to Messiah Matters. I'd like to say a to everyone in the uh, chat room. We've been uh, bouncing around the A's over there. We need some kind of a official emoji for uh, Canada Appreciation Day here on Messiah Matters. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, th- that all came from just two people saying that they're in Canada and saying hi. Eh? Um, hey. And then we also got Butte, Alaska. All right. Good on you. Hey everybody, uh, I I was uh, we were gone last week, right? Yeah, we were we were gone, so that's why it feels yes. it feels I'm energetic today, because it's been a whole it's been a whole two weeks since we've been on air. How you been, man? Doing well, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm grateful for the spring. Yeah, grateful for you know all the classes we're teaching to our mm-hmm. resource. We got some good classes. Uh, and uh, God is good. Sweet. I went to the uh, Central Washington Messianic Conference this last week. Yeah, that's right. It was good. It was good to meet some people. Moses Lake. That's Mo- like the biblical. That's a biblical site. Yes, exactly. That's where Moses par- parted the waters, of course. Yeah. Um, in case people didn't know, you can go see it right here in America. Uh, let's uh, give some uh, let's give some ways to get a hold of us, and then uh, we'll jump in. Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. We also have an email address at chegg at torresource dot com. What is Rob laughing at? We will never know. Apparently, chegg uh, at torresource dot com. Uh, go to torresource for all sorts of free stuff and paid stuff. Uh, we got all sorts of stuff. There's stuff. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Uh, really does help us. We love you for doing it. So press the subscribe button. Do it now if you're not did we, subscribed. Did we uh, talk about the new the new mug? Did you already show that maybe two weeks ago? Oh uh, yeah, but we'll t- we'll do it again. In fact, actually, this is a great. So thank you for the segue there. Uh, for for those Mr. Canadians who like donuts, <laughs> I don't know. Is that are they in Canada? I, they must be. They're all over. What uh, Krispy Kreme? No, it's Tim Hortons up there, bro. Oh, that's right, dude! We, you we do not a, mess. We hit one of them. Don't mess with the Tim Hortons. We hit one of them when we were up in uh, Ontario. One eh? of my favorite commercials ever is the Tim Hortons commercial where Sidney Crosby and uh, McKinnon are 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 running the drive-through. They had a whole series of them. If you have never seen them, they, somebody took all of them and put them in a collage on uh, YouTube, <laughs> and they are freaking hilarious. They are really funny. Um, anyway. Those guys, it, you know, you can always tell the East Coast Canadians because they, they don't say sorry, they say sorry, right? <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, anyway. A boot? A bo- no, is a boot? Yeah, a boot. A boot, yeah. But the, what are you, you talking about? You, you, really you really get like, it's interesting because now I live really close to the West Coast, Can- you know, Canadian people. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> and uh, I can tell the ac- the difference between accents between a Vancouver person and a person over on the, uh, you know, on the East Coast. Nice. 
Yes. You've, you've got good ears. Well, you know, I, I watch a lot of Anna Green Gables, so there's that. Um, anyway, okay. Here's the new mug. It looks like, now for those in Canada, do, maybe we should do Tim Hortons next time. Oh, my word. Hey, hey is there a, Mike, is, is it, Mike's on it. I, I already know Mike's going to be on it. Um, so this is uh, this is Krispy Kreme. It's a Krispy Kreme logo. Now, I do have to tell you. No, it's not. I live. <laughs> true. I live. I we live, have to. We have to clarify. I live We're about not. a block and a half from a little donut shop called Pow's Donuts here in the T town. And I got to tell you, we now that we've had Pow's for you they know, know how to make a donut. Oh my word! So good. best place in town. And if you try to go to a Krispy Kreme. You can't do it. They eat. They they use this like sugar that coats your mouth. Anyway, okay. Uh, all of that to say, we do have some new, uh, some new, some new producers. Oops, that is not what I'm looking for. Um, so Ruth Lunderville asked for. Let's see here. So she is a new. And they they were all recipients of this new. Mug of this new mug. That's that right. That does not leave your mouth coated with anything but goodness. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Let's see here. Guaranteed. Okay. So, Guaranteed. So Sue Levy actually asked if, if she could have a list of the sound bites, and I haven't gotten that to her yet. So she's all, she also is another producer again. Uh, but Ruth Lunderville is a producer for the second time, but this is the first time we've acknowledged her, and she did ask for a specific, uh, a, a very specific sound clip. Here you go. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You've been blessed. All right, Ruth, there you go. Princess Bride. Well, well selected, Ruth. Thank You're, you. <laughs> I think she asked for another one, but I didn't write it down, and I am a horrible person, so I forgot it. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay, let's talk about this uh, conference real quick, and then we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on quickly. Uh, I went to Moses Lake. I was uh, blessed to be able to uh, speak two times. I was supposed to speak on community, and uh, the way I tried to do that was to uh, preach on do expository preaching, as I think every preacher and or teacher at a community should do. Uh, Expository preaching on Colossians 1 and 2. Now, that's actually not... Could you you explain? Yes. What is expository preaching? Yeah, expository preaching is where you go through a book of the Bible, preferably. Usually, you know, you go straight through. You don't... It's not topical preaching, so you don't choose a topic. So it's... Oh, so it's... You're teaching from Scripture... You You're let reading the scri- scripture and you, let the scriptures. You let the scripture. T- yeah, you let the scriptures choose the topic, basically, and uh, that's different than picking a topic. Correct. And then trying to maybe citing the scripture along right. the way. Right. Yes. Mash your your uh, your newfangled <laughs> self help idea into a Bible passage is what a lot of preachers these days do. And so uh, actually, I'm, I'm laughing, but it's actually it's 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 tragic. But. It's interesting because actually the passage that I chose was Colossians three, um, because this is the passage that has you know bear each other's burdens and all this kind of stuff. Well, I decided that if I was going to preach through Colossians three, I needed to study and know the context, uh, so I would have to study through Colossians one and two. I never made it to Colossians three by the time the conference came. And so I figured that the Lord just wanted me to preach through Colossians 1 and 2, which is exactly what I did. Um, it was good. I, th- I thought it was good. I got to make some uh, great connections. I met, um, w- most people know him as Mason Clover, who is a worship leader. 
And uh, I was able to also meet Ephraim Judah, who was, many people will know Ephraim's father, Monty Judah. Uh, I have been very critical of Monty Judah uh, throughout the years. I still have... I still have videos up that are very critical of Monty Judah and his teaching. Uh, with that said, it was very nice to meet uh, Ephraim and to connect with him and sit down. And we had dinner together and all sorts of stuff. It was great. Um, and yeah, the uh, the congregation over in Moses Lake is just uh, filled with a lot of great people. And so we were very blessed to meet a lot of great people and, and enjoy a weekend. And uh, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, it was good. The, there was other teachings as well. Actually, uh, Brent Emery spoke on uh, the deity of the Messiah in the, in the Tanakh and then the deity of the Messiah in the uh, apostolic scriptures as well. And that was good. So I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. I was very, uh, I was very encouraged that all of the teachers at the conference, although we might disagree on some things, we all were very solid on the deity. And I would say Trinitarian theology. I think we all believe in Trinitarian theology. And so um, that was that was awesome. Okay. Nice. Anyway, um, so we blessed Ruth and uh, we mentioned our mug. You can, you can become a producer for the spring quarter by going to torresource.com, hovering over resources, and then go down to Messiah Matters. And there's instructions from there on how to become a producer. Okay. Let's do it. Let's jump right in, shall we? It's only been 10 minutes already. Um, okay. Let's see what we got here. Is a, This is from Evelyn. Now, we got a couple of comments, and uh, then we'll... Oh, hey, share share a little bit about the fundraiser, would you? Oh, Ernest fundraiser? Yeah, that was amazing. Okay, so, yeah, this is actually a, a fun little story. We have one of our producers, Erna Draper, her husband, Lou, uh, he just passed away, and uh, that's very difficult. Obviously, anytime a uh, a loved one, especially a spouse, passes away, uh, Lou struggled. They with, were married for how many years? Do you uh, remember? I don't know. Uh, Erna is, is, I don't know if she'd want me to say this. Should I say how? She's, she's in her 80s. Um, yeah. They were married, for, I think, for over 50 years, if, yes. I, if I remember, or more, yeah, yes. 60 years. And he uh, was battling Alzheimer's, I believe it was, or dementia of some kind. And uh, so he passed away. And uh, someone someone said that she should sell her car to pay for the funeral, uh, which she did. Now, this is I'll t- talk more about that in a few seconds. Um, I don't know if that was the why, the best advice that somebody could have given her, because then she was left without a husband and without a mode of transportation to like even go to the store. Anyway, so I thought, well, this is a tragedy. Uh, we need to help her. So I put up a, um, a fundraiser, which is actually still up. The GoFundMe is actually still up. So if you want to, you can go and, and, uh, and still donate to it. But <clears throat> I did not let Erna know that I was raising money for her. We raised 8000 bucks for her. And when I called her yesterday to tell her that we had run ran uh, that we had uh, earned eight thousand dollars for her, that we'd raised eight thousand dollars for her, uh, she told me that her car sold for eight thousand dollars, and that the funeral cost eight thousand dollars, and the payout that she's going to get is almost exactly eight thousand bucks. A little over. There's a little extra. She's I got think. about sixty nine dollars of spending money. <laughs> <laughs> After everything's said and done. 
So, uh, yeah, the Lord is good. The, I mean, I think it, it was really great. And uh, if anyone still wants to go and uh, donate to Erna, you can. Uh, but we're going to probably delete the fundraiser here in a little bit uh, just because now she's aware of it and uh, and she's she's going to uh, cash out that money. But uh, you are also more than welcome to go. How about and... now that we've talked about it, we have to wait one more week. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, if... I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, anyway. Because people, it'll take a, a few days for people to watch this. To, and they To might hear be... it, right, exactly, exactly. All right. So therefore, you have to tell them where to go. Yeah, well, uh, her name's Erna Draper, and uh, you can go to uh, you can go to my Facebook page, Caleb. There you go. There's a GoFundMe. Uh, there's a GoFundMe yeah. button on like uh, in my posts <coughs> on uh, go on uh, Facebook. You can also go to Erna. Uh, I think you can search Erna Draper on GoFundMe. So if you want to help her out, uh, by all means, go for it. Okay, um, let's see here. Let's go. I think I want to do this first. Paul is in the he's Paul is from the east side of Canada, so he says sorry instead of sorry. And uh, let's go to his question first. He says, "Wondering if you can help me. My six-year-old daughter has been very inquisitive about Yeshua and asks questions about why is Yeshua praying to God when he is God." I've tried to make several attempts to explain the Trinity and her, at her age level, but find that I can't. Most attempts that I make, Candace will stop me as I'm inadvertently going down a path of modalism. Laugh out loud. Okay, this is this has been a very difficult thing for me as well. Now it's it's hard for me to know whether or not my son Ben is uh, above the curve when it comes to theology or not. Um. Oh, and Ernest says she was with Lou for 63 years. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard for me to know if, if Ben is on the same level or if he's like, I've called him a theological savant. Um, actually, Steve Lawson, when he heard some of the questions that Ben was asking, was kind of shocked and told me to uh, just study through the book of John with him. Um, with that said... I think that uh, this is so we as parents have to kind of become theologians to be able to not only explain to our children what's going on in the Bible, but also to be able to understand it ourselves. One of the doctrines that the early church fathers first uh, really hit on was the idea of, of Yeshua's nature, whether or not Yeshua had a divine nature or whether or not he had a human nature. And if we look at this in tandem with Philippians 2 and the idea that he did not find it necessary to retain his position with God, but lowered himself and came in the form of a servant. And then we look and we, then we think of this idea of, of Yeshua having two natures. What the church fathers came to, and, and Rob, jump in at any time, please. What the church fathers came to was that Yeshua actually has two natures. He has a truly human nature. And at the same time, coexisting, but not, never the two shall meet, we might say, is a human nature. So a divine nature and a human nature. The divine nature he shares with the Father. And yet at the same time, he has a human nature. And this he took on when he came in the form of a servant. 
Uh, when we think of this, now all of a sudden we can see how Yeshua can say things like, not your will, but my will be done, or not my will, but your will be done, because this is his, him in, in his human state with a human nature, uh, acting as a human, uh, and uh, acting as we act in terms fully, fully, human. fully, yeah. fully human. Yeah, not like the Docetists, right? Who say he seemed like he was. No, and right. that's that's the other part of the conversation. Keep going. You're nailing it, dude. Get a sip, though. Refresh yes. that palate. Yes, but the, but now <laughs> we can see it, he experienced life just as we experience life. Because he is truly human, and so he has this human nature. And uh, so basically, when we see Yeshua praying, when we see... These are all things that are not only... I mean, first of all, he had to pray, right? Because uh, it is commanded. It's commanded in Scripture to pray. Um, But also because he is one with the Father. And as someone who has now lowered himself and... Uh, set aside. My my son and I last night had a, a discussion on whether or not he gave up or whether or not he set aside his divine attributes. And uh, so, basically, we uh, we have to say that he set aside his his attri- his divine attri- some of his divine attributes. And because of this, he uh, has a I believe he has a human nature, and this is exactly why we see him praying. When it comes to, and and Yeshua it, in the flesh is an intercessor. Yes, right. It says he ever lives to inter, intercede for us. But uh, you could look at since we come we're in the Pesach P- Pentecost season, we can re- think you know just to, uh, recently reading about his praying for Peter. You know when Peter says, "Oh, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll die with you." You know or whatever, and he's like, you know, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, and yeah. you're gonna and and when you've been restored, I'm I'm totally paraphrasing, you know, you know, build up your brothers. So like, so Peter's what's Peter learning about Yeshua in that moment? First of all, it's like Peter's getting a check on his own uh, self assessment of, <laughs> you know, his own. Uh, enthusiasm or zeal for the Lord. He, 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 he's not really being sober minded when he says, Oh, I'll die with you. And Yeshua checks him on that. But then Yeshua says, I've got you covered, man. You're mine. You're going to, yes, this is true. This is going to happen. But on the other side, you're going to come back and you're going to build up your brothers. And uh, I was just reading that from the end of John where he says, feed my, you know, do you love me? You know, feed my sheep, etc." that powerful moment. Um, so yeah, so we learn too, I think, about prayer and how important prayer is for us as disciples of Yeshua through Yeshua and his prayers. But I, I, I might have hijacked that too much. You were you were on an awesome roll there. No, I, actually I was pretty much done. Joshua and Tilla in the chat room says, so, so you guys believe in Chalcedonian Christi- Christology. I haven't studied Chalcedon, the Council of Chalcedon, um, enough to be able to say that I would hands down agree with everything that they came up with. But in terms of the question of whether or not Yeshua has a dual, like dual natures, in other words, does Yeshua have two natures, a a uh, a divine nature and a human nature? I say yes. And and Caleb, did you touch on this? In I mean, because 
Colossians one, man. I mean, there's, yeah. there's towards the end of Colossians one, it's, it's heavy into high, what we call high Christology. Yeah. The Christian hymn. I think it's interesting that, that scholars say that Paul probably didn't uh, write that, which means that enough believing communities in the first century, all the way from Jerusalem up into, uh, up into, it had currency. Yeah. They all had, yeah. hi, they all had high Christology. In other words, they all thought that Christ was, was divine. Uh, Joshua, it's the way that you were explaining it sounds Chalcedonian. Yeah, I mean, I once again, I have not, uh, I have not studied the the uh, the complete. I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in Chalcedonian the, uh, Christology, and I would not say that I've studied it enough to say that I uh, am on board 100% with what was agreed upon. However, in terms of the dual nature of Yeshua, I definitely ascribe to the idea that Yeshua has two natures and. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I don't see how we could see otherwise. Now, I know that people have tried. Yeah. But I personally. On both sides, you have the, right. the docetists on one hand, and then you have the, oh, he's just the Ebionites or whatever. I don't, I don't remember. He was just a man. He's just a, you know. Yeah. Just a, he's just a really righteous man. Yeah. Robert, I'm thinking of Robert Wall because Robert Wall he says something about, um, I, I quoted it the other night. I actually had it written down and, and quoted it. This is why it's on my mind. But he says that, uh, basically, I'm going to paraphrase his quote here, and I'll have to go back and find it. But basically, his quote is that Christ, uh, Christ had to come. He had to pay a physical payment for, for physical sin. In other words, he, he wasn't just a spirit that came and paid a spiritual payment for physical sin. He paid a physical in other words, he came in the, a human body. He was fully human, and this is the payment that he made on the cross was a physical payment. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think that that's right. Um, okay, should we move on? Do, uh, well, hang on. Actually, before we move on, Paul, I know that Paul is in the uh, in the chat room, uh, and I'll give you. Here's the analogy that I've given my son on the uh, the Trinity. This is one that I think. Here's the great thing about kids is that. I told my son, well, the father and the son are both God. And Yeshua came and he was on this earth, but at the same time, he had to hold together the entire world. And so the father, you know, they, they are one, but they work separately. But we can't understand that. And the spirit, they share a spirit. They both have the same exact spirit. And that spirit comes and dwells in us. And my son was just like, oh, yeah, okay, great. Like... <laughs> There was no like, wait, that doesn't, you know, there was no kind of like, that doesn't make sense. It was almost like faith of children is just like, oh, okay. But I also explained, I, I hate analogies about the Trinity, but I have an analogy about the Trinity. Um, a lot of people have tried to make all sorts of different analogies about the Trinity. I've heard ice, water, and steam. I've heard different parts of an egg, the shell, the yolk, the... Uh, whites. I've heard uh, the human body, uh, body, soul, spirit, and all of those. Okay, I they they all work in their own ways, and they all fall short in their own ways. So I'll give you another one. On planet Earth, there is one ocean. Now we break it up into five oceans. Technically speaking, there's five oceans if you look on a map. And of course, in ancient pirate days, they'd say we sail the seven seas. So there was seven seas. But if you look on a map, I like that. One. I like that one better. Okay, fair enough. Because it sounds I. Arr, arr. Arr. 
Uh, okay, so uh, the uh, the ocean is all one ocean, though. It's it's all one big ocean, even though we break it up. And so my question will be to my son was something like this: If we have a tsunami on the west coast of America, does that automatically mean that there's a tsunami on the east coast? And the answer is no. And so my question is then, okay, well, does that mean that the west coast of the ocean works independently of the east coast of the ocean? And the answer is yes and no. In other words, something can happen on the west coast of America, the ocean that is on the west coast of America, and it won't be seen on the east coast of America, something like a tsunami. However, you can't take the water out of the West Coast and it not affect the East Coast. And you also can't have anything happen uh, without the entirety of the ocean. In other words, if you don't have the East Coast of the ocean, then the West Coast of the ocean can't do stuff like have tsunamis because it's all one. And this is how God is. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They all work in total unison, and no matter what they're doing, within the burning bush, there was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The death on the cross was the Son. However, the Spirit and the Father are completely uh, completely at work in that act as well, even though they were not the ones dying on the cross. Uh, so God is one, and uh, all, all of God works at no matter what God is doing. However, um, just like the ocean, their Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can can and do have independent works that they do uh, to accomplish things. There you go. And uh, Clayton says there are only four oceans. Okay, four parts of an egg. <laughs> Ernest says, uh, okay, no matter what, uh, I, I hope that my analogy still rings true with some people. Okay, shall we move on? Sure. Did, uh, Paul, did that answer your question? Is Paul even still in the chat room? I don't know. Okay, let's move on. What should we move on to, though? This is a good question. Okay, let's just get the cat out of the bag. We're going to talk about uh, whether or not, like, refuting the idea that uh, Paul is not an apostle. Now, our chat room has done some great work, and... Uh, the way that the chat room has done great work is I received three emails with three different websites, all all different from each other, uh, from people who say that Paul should not be considered an apostle, and that his and that his writings should be thrown out. Okay, uh, everybody, get your Bibles. We're gonna have the ritual <laughs> cutting away. Yeah, exactly. Um, you got to get, get the Paul's fingerprints off your Bible, man. Man. This is, this is, so, so, okay, wait, hang on. Let me tell you what they all have in common. Okay. Let me tell you what. So Luke Acts has to go. Yes, exactly. Luke, Peter has to, first and second Peter has to go too. Because Peter accepted Paul as an apostle and said that, and referred to his words as scripture. So Luke, Acts, first and second Peter, and all. So, so you have Matthew, Mark, John. Yeah. First, second, third John, Revelation. And Jude, I guess. Hebrews, depending if you think Paul wrote Hebrews or not. I wonder if you have some of the group that thinks Hebrews get kicked out that also want to kick out Paul. I don't know. I've talked to people like this before, and they're just like, all we need is a Torah. 
Yeah. And I'm like, well, how do you know? You know, and they believe, but yet they believe Yeshua is the Messiah. Well, what is the Messiah? How do you even know what the Messiah is? Like, do you have some other channel? Do you have like, are you channeling some other uh, like things that's telling you this? Like, or or are you gonna like? I'll I'll read the New Testament until like, uh, yeah, okay, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, but I just have to throw away the New Testament. Wasn't it the Ebionites who rejected Paul? Didn't didn't. Th- yeah, I think there were some. I was thinking they were the ones that also were uh, that didn't believe that did not believe Jesus was anything but just a, a man. He was just a holy man, you know, like a prophet. But I, you know, it's been so it's been like twenty years since I the Nazarenes, the Ebionites, you know, because this was all the Hebrew roots movement or or the Messianic Jewish movement had streams of people that were trying to like the Nazarene Judaism group. You know, they're trying to like identify with some group that Josephus mentions. I mean, I laugh. <laughs> like, I, la- us. <laughs> I laugh. I laugh. But at the same time, it's because I, I either laugh or cry. One of the two. Because there's just I, okay. Let's start with this. Let's start with this. One of the one of the the uh, <laughs> unifying factors that every single one of these websites had that uh, that was sent to me was that all of them obviously have no training. And I, I don't say that looking down at them. What I, I say that because it, it doesn't seem as though they have any understanding of how hermeneutics work. They have no <laughs> understanding of the original languages. They haven't actually exegeted any of the passages that they're looking at. They're actually just taking them straight from the English. And it, it, it's like you're it's like you're building a house or you're you're working a field and build, and then you have someone standing on the sideline. You like occasionally tell you're doing it wrong, but they have like no skin in the game like they haven't actually so biblical research in the in the chat room actually makes a great point this is this is a true point he says if you watch these he it might be a woman they say if you watch these fools channels they can't defend paul from a pro tourist standpoint so they want to kick him out and that's exactly right basically what you have is you have people which means they don't know how to read the torah either (laughs) yeah well and that's and that's what i mean that's what i mean by the by the point that they have no training it's not that i'm trying to put these people down in terms of like you have to have a seminary degree to be able to but ultimately what's happening is if you're going to start and this is why i named this show a low view of scripture is because if you're going to start throwing out scripture any scripture I mean, Michael Rood did this back in the day, right? He wanted to get rid of John 6, 4. And he says, oh, well, John 6, 4 isn't in any of the early manuscripts. That's not true. It's in every single manuscript all the way up until the 13th century. And so basically... He, d- he didn't know how to read the, he didn't <laughs> the know how critical to read, yeah. apparatus. Just it, because there's a whole section missing, it doesn't mean that that... <laughs> yeah. And, and and basically, see, people, people who know how to do research see this and just say, no, this is not right. And so what people with, without any ability to research the actual text do is they come to it and they want to be critical of it. They say, oh, well, Paul, you know, uh, Paul speaks against the Torah because they they can't figure it out in their own mind. And so they just decide to start throwing out books, but they do it on the pretense of reading a, a, a English Bible. And if you're mm. going to start making large faith decisions that erode the foundation of our faith... Um, learn some languages first. Go to school and figure out how to do some research. Yeah. Do, do the hard work. Yeah. Show, show your study to show yourself approved, and that and you know what that's going to cost you your life. It's going to you, you got to say no to a bazillion other things, and and you're going to it's a a path for the rest of our life. You know, and and boy, yeah. 
The other thing is that these people obviously don't know how to write and they don't know how to make videos and they don't know how to make blogs because these sites are just awful. Um, there's just so many and that's fine. You, you don't need to have a flashy site or anything like that, but at least put together a coherent argument. I mean, these people, it's, it's really very sad. It's really very sad. Um, you know, well, plus it's a position of, of tearing down, right? The the whole trajectory is that of, of tearing down and boy, I mean, for me, here's the thing is that I, and I, I constantly go back to, there was an aha moment with me. Okay. Uh Uh Uh, Growing up, my father uh, and the congregation that he uh, was a co-pastor or is a co-pastor at, every year they would get to Passover and they would sit down and they would argue. They'd usually take one to two weeks and argue the Passion chronology. When I say the Passion chronology, what they were trying to do is they were trying to make John, the book of John, line up with the three synoptic gospels on the timeline. And there was arguments every year. And because of the big scholarly academic secular version that says, no, point blank, they're separate. You're right, a, right. John has a different chronology. So you have people in the church now that have to actually learn to understand this and talk about intelligence because they've got people that have read an article in Newsweek or, you know, coming to them. And that's probably one of the fronts that was confronting them. So basically... When I was confronted with this in my early 20s, because I said, I don't understand the argument. My dad said, all right, well, let's sit down and and look at the arguments. And we did. He said, look, John says this. The synoptics say this. Now, in my mind at the time, and I wasn't walking with, with the Lord, I thought, well, there you have it. The Bible has a contradiction in it. It's obvious. John says that it's on this day, you know, that he dies on the 14th. And... The synoptics say he dies on the 15th. What other evidence do you need? There it is. It's plain as day, right? And not only that, but it's been 2,000 years, and scholars still can't get it right. So obviously, you know, scholars have no good answer for this. Scholars will tell you, well, I just accept the Johannine chronology, or I accept the synoptic gospel chronology. I'm getting somewhere with this, by the way. Okay. My father does a ton of research. My father works, works, works. And finally, my dad comes up with this chronology. And he publishes this chronology, and it lines all of them up. Now, this was pretty revolutionary, but I thought, maybe this is just my dad. Well, then, Brant Petrie comes out with the same chronology, totally years late, years totally later, separate from my father. Never read my father's work or anything. And now all of these scholars are jumping on board and saying, yeah, this is this actually works it out. Okay, now think about this. 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, people thought that John disagreed with the Synoptic Gospels and vice versa. It took 2,000 years for people to figure out the chronology so that the two, so that the four well, Gospels... Well, to be fair, we don't know what people thought at different times. Fair if enough. They didn't, fair if they enough. Didn't but write, ultimately, yeah. we don't have any large work saying this is obviously how... You know, it wasn't widely known, at least, right? And so now, all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, we have a, a uh, consensus that's starting to form within the scholarly world saying, look, this, these actually can, can, uh, can line up just perfect. And what this, the epiphany that I had was if I come to the scriptures and I see something that seems contradictory, there are two things I know. 
Number one, God doesn't contradict himself, and this, so the scripture is not wrong. Whatever the scripture says, that's right. In other words, I rest my faith and I rest my life on the 66-book canon. That is correct. And the second thing is, is that although it may seem to contradict itself, that just means that it's a mystery to me, something that I haven't figured out or something that I can't figure out, one of the two. But it doesn't mean that the scripture's wrong. You got all these people in the Messianic realm, you got all these people in the Hebrew roots realm and the Torah realm, whatever you want to say. And their first go-to is, if it doesn't seem to line up, I'm going to throw it out. This is a super low view of scripture. Yeah. Never yeah, they don't pi- know what they, they don't know what they have. Exactly. They don't know what it even means to to trust Yeshua. I mean that it's yeah. The idea that you would take the infinitely holy, infinitely perfect God's word and chuck it I mean think because you, you know better. Cuz you know better. Because yeah, because you you've you've you've, you've studied the matter out. <laughs> With your with you, your two English translations and a strong concordance, your Excel you've spreadsheet, ma- you've studied the matter, <laughs> and you have number. come to the decision. Yeah, exactly. Now you're ready to decide for millions of people. Right. You're going to make a decision for millions of people. This shows a low view of scripture. It reminds me of uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez or whatever. Oh no. Okay. Uh, this is going in a bad direction. I can tell already. Why does it remind you of? Because you have someone who doesn't know anything advocating for policy positions that are going to affect millions and millions and millions of people when she doesn't know what she's talking about. That's, that's what you have. You have people who are, who don't have the education, want to make decisions that have huge, huge, huge implications beyond their ability to even grasp because they know better because they know better. Yep. Basically, I Dangerous. think I think my point here is that if you can't figure something out in the scriptures, it's not the scriptures' fault. That's your problem. It's not the scriptures. And this is why as believers, we need to put a super high emphasis on the fact that the word of God is infallible. And but we are fallible. I mean, this is the point of the Reformation too, right? Luther Luther comes and he says, yes, not only can councils err, but the but the Pope can err as well. This was like a spit in the face because they held the and the Catholic Church still does. They hold the councils and the and the Pope on the same level as the Scriptures, which is also a huge mistake. Only the Word of God is infallible. And when I say the Word of God, I'm not talking about your KJV, and I'm not talking. I mean, I'm not. Look, we're talking about the original authorship of the of the scriptures. But the point is is that through study we can get back to the original text. And that's not what these people are doing. These people don't care what Paul is really saying. Some of these, I mean, should we even look at one of these? Let's look at one of these. This is I mean, this is just it's this this person's blog is called Christian Sound Teachings. Isn't that ironic? Anyway, um, Christian Sound Teachings. Quick reference. Oh, wait, hang on. And this one is called Blasphemy of Paul. The person writing this is named Felix Emanuel. And uh, this was written, I don't know, October 30th, 2017. So it wasn't that that, oh. uh, that well, long Well, that's ago. four years ago, yeah. 
So calling Christ as cursed or calling him a sin is pure blasphemy. This is the argument that the person is trying to put forward. So they're going to uh, they're going to reference Paul and the three references that they give is 1 Corinthians 12:3, Galatians 3:13, 2 Corinthians 5:21. So 1 Corinthians 12:3, they quote it as saying therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3:13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse this is in, the person has put this in bold, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." And Second Corinthians five twenty one, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, this person is going to say this is blasphemy, because uh, because this person says that Jesus became a curse, but he says. Uh, the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. Like no one can speak speaking but through the Spirit of God ca- calls Jesus a curse. But then this person is saying, well, in Galatians three thirteen, Paul himself calls him cursed, and then in Second Corinthians five twenty one, he says that Jesus became sin. Wow, I'm convinced. So what 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 is what does he say? So what are the action steps? What's the call to action? Well, the call to action for this person is to throw out all of Paul. He says Jesus did not become a curse for us or our sin for or a sin for us. The curse of death was upon all humanity and the punishment for the disobedience of the law was upon the Jews, but Christ was innocent and did not sin and died according to the curse which God spoke. His death broke death itself because he was innocent and he was God's word, who is God himself in flesh. Hence, Christ did not become a curse or a sin for us. Instead, he took the curse of death upon himself to provide a way to eternal life through the curse of death for he his life. Um, this person just, this person just literally needs to take an English course. I mean... I don't think this person understands how language works. But, I mean, what is so interesting, I mean, here's what's going to happen. And, and I can already tell what's going to happen in the, uh, in, the, in the comment sections. We're going to get a bunch of people saying, oh, well, you just took one little example, and this isn't a good example. There are tons of places that Paul should be, there are tons of reasons why Paul should be thrown out. That's just going to happen in the comments. And the point is, is no, you're reading Paul wrong. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean that we should throw out scripture. You know, Paul wrote other letters too. somebody asked, we've had this conversation before, but somebody asked me, well, if, you know, if third Corinthians was found and we knew it was truly Paul, you know, it was autographed and the scholars compared it and said, yeah, that that's, uh, you know, that this is Paul. Would we accept it as scripture? And my answer is no. Paul is not the person who writes scripture. It's when the Holy Spirit comes along and inspires a specific work to be written that that makes it scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that makes it scripture. The person doesn't make it scripture. So just because Paul might have written a ton of more letters, and even if we found them, that doesn't mean they're scripture. The church and the Holy Spirit put together the canon 
of God and agreed that these are the books. These are the books, not the other ones, not anything else that Paul wrote. So it's not about whether or not Paul wrote it or not. What it's about is whether or not the Holy Spirit inspired it. And the canon that we have is 66 books. And so if you can't jump on board with that... And the Holy Spirit continually guides the ecclesia throughout history. Doesn't mean the authority of the Pope or the authority of any particular office, but Yeshua's sheep, those who hear his voice. And yeah, so... Okay, yeah, I was, I was reminding, since you're talking Colossians, <clears throat> at the end of Colossians, Paul says, hey, by the way, something like send a copy of this over to Laodicea. Right. And and the letter I sent to them, you guys read that too. Right. So now what someone could do is like, oh, Paul's lost letter to Laodicea, like can publish a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we found it. Yep. Exactly. He, he quotes Enoch. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Okay, let's move on. Evelyn writes in and she says, is the doctrine of imputed righteousness biblically correct? If so, why will we still be judged by our deeds if Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us? Do you want to take that? Because I have some ideas, but they might be heretical. No, let me, well, here, let me pull up a, a passage. Um <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, well, first of all, the first part of the is um, imputation, which is a, taken from this. It's the same concept, even though the language is different, of course, from Genesis 15. And Abraham trusted in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so that concept of reckoning, it's from uh, the verb chashav in Hebrew or logizomai in Greek, uh, has, the, has this idea of what God reckons about someone. And if we are in Messiah, it says that we are reckoned as having died and risen and that our life is not separate from that of the risen and eternal Lord, Yeshua, that we are reckoned as belonging to him, as being part of him. And so we as participants in Yeshua's resurrection life, and this is not anything we did. This is, this is what Yeshua saving his people from their sins is taking them to himself and then what is true of him is true of his people. That's my understanding of the the imputation. Now, R.C. Sproul has a really good video. It's one of those old VHS, you know, converted to uh, digital. And he's got a chalkboard and he's just like rolling and rolling. And he draws two circles. And he says, one circle is, is you. The other is Jesus. And, and he empty circles. And he says, but you're, you're, you've sinned. And so he uses the, you know, sideways chalk fills in the circle of, of you or me. And Yeshua's is, is clear and clean. And he says, there's this exchange, right? Where Yeshua took this sin on him. He took your sin away and he 
then cleansed you. And so he erases, right, the, the fill in chalk, which is represents sin from your circle. And he says, and that is this transaction that happened. He died, he paid for your sin, and which, which cleansed you of that by taking it on himself. And the righteousness, therefore, that you have is not earned, it's not yours by means of your work, or you did something clever or smart or obedient to God. It's because an act that the Messiah himself did. Now, my, and it's a great video. My, my only problem is that it doesn't go far enough because what the picture really is in scripture is, is different than that. It's that we are branches on Yeshua, who is the vine. In other words, we who are in Messiah, who are new creations in Christ, no, we don't, we're not a separate bubble that has been cleansed. We are attached to him. We do not have an, a life independent of him. We're not independent people. We're not little circles that have been, uh, the darkness has been erased from. Rather, we are attached to him. And so we share his, his uh, life. Yeshua is not continually suffering, right? He's, no, he's not bearing our sins right now. <clears throat> He, he bore them and that was done. Now the implications continue on and, and Paul at the end of Galatians two does such a beautiful job of talking about that. He said, he's talking about it's me, but it's no longer me, but the life I live is not really mine, but it's that of the living Messiah. Right. And, and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Messiah, right. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's still working this out, you know, 20 years after the cross, Paul is still working out and trying to find ways to be helpfully, you know, communicative in, in what Yeshua did 20 years prior that he, that Paul is still working out. How, how do I talk about my new life in the risen Messiah? And, and so the language of imputation of righteousness is one of the little catchphrases that has been thrown into that discussion. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I think that one of the, the question ultimately comes also to a place of, of uh, it seems as though we're going to be judged for our actions on the, on the, you know, every word will be uh, accounted for and, and whatnot. This is, I think where Evelyn was going. And I have the, I found the other scripture, by the way, if can I just finish that? Yeah, of course, please. So this is first Corinthians three. So you'd have, you have to accept Paul. <laughs> No. Uh, so no, first Corinthians three, 10, he said, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, that is Paul, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm reading the NASB here. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it, on that foundation uh, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet. So as through fire, Paul's basically, he's using the picture of gold, silver, and precious stones on the one hand, over against wood, hay, and straw. 
And that indeed there's going to be people who uh, are building, but they, they have no wisdom and they're building with wood, hay and straw and, and their works are going to be tried. I think this already happens in life. I mean, we, this already happens to us for any of us who have, as we've walked with the Lord and grown, there's places where the Lord has corrected us because we needed it. We, or we, we were confronted, you know, from other believers or whatever. And we received, you know, we humbly received correction and we changed something about how we were building. And this is an example. That's that to me is the same thing. It it happens while we're still here. Um, That, that, what we have, what we truly have, we will be given more. And the things we think we have that we don't really have, that means that's the stuff that God's saying, no, no, but we're insisting on it. That stuff's going to be trimmed off. And it's going to, and it's just all we have is missed opportunity from, from that. That's, that's how I see that. Okay. So we got a, a bunch of stuff going on. First of all, there's some great conversations and, and comments that are being made in the chat room. I keep grabbing those comments and we'll actually probably build some of our next show on some of these comments. Lee Kessler has said some great things. Uh, who was it? MC and LC asked a question about the race and all sorts of stuff. I want to really quickly just talk about um, my view of the fact that we're all going to be judged for, you know, for our actions. And how does that play if we're all saved? First of all, I know this sounds weird, but according to Matthew 5, it seems as though there are different uh, statuses within in uh, the world to come. In other words, not everyone is is uh, at the same level level. There's least in the kingdom and great greatest in the kingdom. And uh, how that works, I don't know. And I can't tell you. But with that said, uh, it, it, I think that some of that is at play here. Rob already touched on the idea that we are actually affected and I think in some ways judged here on this earth according to some of the deeds that we do. And we see this, you know, the world will call this karma, but ultimately the fact is, is that if you do bad things, bad things tend to happen to you. Why is that? I think it has to do with the fact that God doesn't like, you know, God actually uh, will throw some throw some uh, punishment our way well we yeah and, and it says in the proverbs and, and the epistle of hebrews cites it so you have to accept hebrews <laughs> nobody says uh, the father he he corrects and chastises the sons whom he loves you know the what if you if you are yeshua's flock you're not going to you know he's going to correct you right you know, take that to the bank um he's going to correct you one way or another yeah but and ulti- if if you're a but if you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, you're never going to receive correction. Right. Ultimately, I think that uh, I I don't think we fully know how this all works out. I I'm happy that it's in the Lord's hands. I'm also terrified that it's in the Lord's hands. If you know what I mean, uh, the idea that we are sinners who have spit in the in the face of the Almighty God and that we will stand to, uh, and and uh, give account for the things that we've done, that is scary, especially for those of us who have not always walked with the Lord. Um, not that any of us ever have, but. Uh, you understand my point. So I think that there's some of that going on. Okay, uh, real quickly before we get going here. Uh, we've had a couple of Super Chats, and I nice. want to mention those. Thank you to Lee Kessler and Love is Bigger for your Super Chat. Love is Bigger actually asked for a specific uh, a specific sound clip. Okay. So cool. here you go. Weights and measures. <laughs> You've been blessed. Come on. 
You guys just won't let me live that so, one out. So there was a there was a lecture given at the conference that I was at called uh, "Living a, ba- <laughs> a, a Balanced Life" or something like that, and the the and the speaker uh, kept talking about weights and measures. And <laughs> there was a couple of people there that afterwards came up to me and said, every time he said weights, all I could think, all I could hear was Rob saying <laughs> weights and measures, weights and measures. All right, let's give a couple of more sound clips since we're Thank at the Thank you. I love it. I, I'm happy to I'm happy to receive the the pokes on that this one. Is, it's 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 I think it's a di- back to what you were saying about dialect. Yeah. I think there's a whole bunch of people it, where I live that use the same uh So my son has uh <laughs> we we he has a little accent on uncertain words. So uh, I gave him a Calvin and Hobbes book. <laughs> yeah. But he says Kelvin and he always says Kelvin. Kelvin and Hobbes. You got to stop. You got to put it. I've told him, I'm like, dude, it's Calvin. And he's like, no, it's just the way I say it. (laughs) 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 Uh, All right. Hey, let's do a couple more sound clips Uh, for those who. Well, there is when he when he's ready to do his homeschool science, you learn the Kelvin scale, K-E-L-V-I-N. Right. So he'll learn Kelvin. Oh, Malachi in the in the uh, chat room says this. He says, uh, "We considered him cursed, stricken by God." The prophet Isaiah says. So, if this person boom, drop th- the mic. Yeah, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to throw out Isaiah too. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. I, I, for those who think that Paul should be thrown out of our Bible, if you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. <laughs> If nobody knows what that says, it says if you want to add glue to that glitter, you're, no glitter to that glue, glitter you're to that glue, you're sniffing. Then, then go ahead, but don't dump your wackadoo <laughs> all over us. Oh, I love that clip. My wife is the one who asked me to pull that clip, actually. So, uh, yeah, and I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. Yes, exactly. Classic interview of Caleb Haig with the great. Walter uh, Kaiser. Dr. Walter Kaiser. Is that interview available? It's somewhere yeah, it's, to people it's, listen to. It's in the library. It's in the library. In the interviews in the library. So if you have a library membership, you can listen. And to you it. can actually hear hear the whole context of that beautiful, rich, deep uh, elder voice. Yes. Um, that he said that. That's yeah. that's years ago, man. That's what five, six. What? Yeah. That was was two, that in Chicago? That was 2014, I think. Or 2014? No, maybe it was 15. Yeah, 14. 14. Um, nice. And finally, I do have a friend. Well, I can. I, I have a person I am aware of who is actually uh, moving towards Catholicism, which is interesting. To see somebody go from Torah observant to Catholicism is a jump you don't see very often. So I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes. <laughs> and the best clothes. All right. I suppose we're done for the day. Um, hey, thanks so much for everybody who has uh, supported this show. Thank you to who are Super Chats. Thank you to our producers. We are so grateful to you and to everyone. And thank you to everyone in the chat room for being a part of the conversation. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so. You can do so by giving us a call, 253-465-3205, Shoot us an email, chag at torahresource.com, chag at torahresource.com. We will be back next week, and if you have anything that you want us to talk about, please go ahead and uh, shoot us an email or give us a phone message. 
We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah matters. 